We are worshiping God. And now we will worship him in the reading and the hearing and the preaching of his holy word. And you can see in your bulletin that we're turning this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Our theme in this ongoing sermon series is the habits of grace. And so Sunday after Sunday, we're focusing on those those habits, those disciplines, those rhythms, those routines of the Christian life by which we seek and find the grace of God. And lately, in our series, we're focusing on the elements of worship that make up our church service on Sunday mornings. And last week, the particular habit that we focused on was the preaching of the Word in the worship service. Remember Paul, 2 Timothy 4, he solemnly charged Timothy, preach the word. Timothy was supposed to preach the word, and not only that, but remember, he was also supposed to be ready. Paul charged him to be ready for ministry and to be ready for it both in season and out of season. In other words, when it feels like The wind's at your back, but also when it feels like the wind is stiff in your face. And it can feel like that sometimes. Even then, Timothy, preach the word. That was last week. This week, we're going to flip it. When we get together for worship and the sermon starts, at that point, there's one person who's preaching, but there's a whole congregation that's listening to him. And listening to preaching is itself one of the habits of the Christian life. Every Sunday, the Christian lifetime is, among other things, a lifetime of listening to sermons. And what Paul says here to the Thessalonians, in particular, the way that he praises the Thessalonians, it sheds bright, beautiful light on how the preaching of the word Ought to be heard. So, as you can see in your bulletin, I'm going to read for us in chapter 2, verses 13 down through 16. (coughs) So, listen now to the reading of God's Word. Paul writes, And we also thank God constantly for this that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. So this is the word of God here in 1 Thessalonians 2. Let me pray for us. (coughs) Father, we thank you for your servant Paul, by whom these words were written so long ago. 
We thank you for your Holy Spirit who inspired these words so long ago and whose ministry it is now to open our eyes to behold the wonders that you have for us here. And trusting that that is the Spirit's ministry, we ask that of you now. Father, would you open our eyes to behold the wonders of your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Like a lot of churches, we started live streaming our church services during COVID. And like a lot of churches, we made it a habit, a lasting habit. So for 90 minutes or so, every Sunday, that camera up there in the balcony is pointed right at me. And I was thinking, though we're not going to do this today, don't worry, but I was thinking it almost feels like today, for the next 35 minutes or so, the camera ought to be aimed at you. Like I said, this week we're going to flip it. This week in our sermon subject, we go from focusing on the solo preacher, Timothy, preach the word. We go from that to the whole congregation of listeners. How should the preaching of the word be heard? And as I was saying before, before I read these words from 1 Thessalonians 2, The way Paul praises the Thessalonians sheds beautiful light on that very question, how the preaching of the word should be heard. Here Paul's writing to people who'd responded with faith to the word when he came to their city and proclaimed it. And here in this passage, Paul's reminding them of that because he wants them to understand why He's writing this letter in a place of such profound gratitude. He has not forgotten the way they responded to the preaching of the word. He has not forgotten, and he doesn't want them to forget either. All sorts of people hear the word of God. There are all sorts of ways of responding to it when you hear it. Well, here, in the example of the Thessalonians, here's the model way, here's the ideal way. And I want to point out four points here, four truths about a right, faithful response to the preaching of God's Word. So let's notice four four truths that are here for us to glean and take with us. So what about the Thessalonians and the way they accepted the Word of God? Here's the first. They accepted the word by the grace of God. That's first. By the grace of God. And I say that because of the very first thing that Paul says here. In verse 13, he says, We also thank God constantly for this. And then he goes on to describe again how they had heard the word preached. He says, we thank God for this. Paul's grateful to God. And it would be easy to overlook that as just the opening words in our opening verse 
that get us into the passage. Don't overlook that. Paul says we thank God. So he's saying not just remember that that's how you responded to the word. He's saying we thank God that that happened. He's saying we give God the credit. We give God the praise. He's saying, yes, you accepted the word, but you only accepted it because of something that God did. He gets the credit. He gets the praise. Now, Paul does not go into detail here. We wouldn't necessarily expect him to. He doesn't go into detail about what it was that God did that enabled them to accept the word in the way they did. But you don't have to look too hard in the Bible to find passages that help us get it. For example, in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, yes, tells us that Paul went to Thessalonica to preach the word, but it also tells us Before that, they went to a place called Philippi. And it tells us that when they were in Philippi preaching the word, a woman named Lydia heard it, and she accepted the word. And in the book of Acts, what does it tell us about why she did? It says this, Acts 16, verse 14. It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That's Acts chapter 16, verse 14. The Lord opened her heart. That's what God does that enables somebody to accept the word. He opens their heart. In other words, he changes their heart so that there is in them now an openness to the word that they're hearing. Opens their heart. Picture a closed heart. Picture a closed door. Imagine a closed door, and I I don't mean some kind of flimsy screen door that's barely latched. Picture a bank vault door that's thick and weighty and shut and locked, and it's been locked for so long that there are cobwebs hanging off the handle because there's no point trying to open it. Anymore. Picture a door like that, and you have pictured a closed heart. You've pictured what the human heart is like turned away from God. And here's the point the minister, the one who preaches the word, does not have the power to open that door. Not by himself. Not even the Apostle Paul had that power. The minister doesn't have the power to open that door, he has the power to preach the gospel. But he doesn't have the power to get anybody to believe what he's preaching. There's no skeleton key that he can use. I mean, a one-size-all explanation of the gospel that works every time. No skeleton keys. There aren't any magical incantations that he can recite, like Gandalf standing there trying to remember what he's supposed to say so that he can open the door into the mouth. There aren't any battering rams that he can use. And sadly, ministers are tempted to resort to those sorts of things. Verbal skeleton keys and magical incantations and battering rams. But the fact is, the minister does not have the power to open that door. He can't open the heart. Only God can do it. Only the Spirit of God working graciously on the heart can open the heart so that that person is now open to the word that's being preached. 
And the point is this. God did that and still does. He he had done that in the lives of the people that Paul was writing to. And he's done it in ours as well. That's why Paul says, we thank God for this. Because Paul knew that God had done it. And and by his his very expression of gratitude, he wants the Thessalonians to, to get that as well. So that they have a proper, humbling, grateful grasp of why it is that they accepted Paul's word in the first place. So that's the first about a right, faithful response to the Word of God. It happens by the grace of God. That's the first. Now, here's the second. We can also say that they accepted the Word as the Word of God. Emphasis on God. They accepted it as the Word of God. And and look again at verse 13, because Paul says it right there. He says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Now, at first glance, that might might not seem to be saying much, to say they accepted the word of God as the word of God. Well, of course they did. Right? It's the word of God. How else are they going to accept it? But it's actually saying quite a bit. To say that they and we accepted the word of God as the word of God. And I say that because sadly you can accept the word of God for lots of other reasons. Without hearing God's voice in it. For example, you can accept it just because that's what everybody else in the church is doing around you. Or you can accept it in some superficial outward way just because it seems to have had a wholesome influence on people who have accepted it before you. And that becomes a kind of motivation, a kind of incentive. Or you can accept it just because your parents tell you to. Or you can accept it just because the minister tells you to. See, the Thessalonians could have accepted it Just because Paul told them to. There are all of those other reasons. All of those other considerations that might lead you to embrace the word of God in some way. But you have not really embraced it. Until you recognize whose word it is. It is God's word. You haven't really accepted it until you've accepted it. Because it's the voice of God that you're hearing in it. And that's what they did. That's exactly what had happened in the experience of the Thessalonians. Now, in other passages, Paul does call it my gospel. So it's not like Paul didn't have anything to do with it. He had embraced it. He was preaching it. He had been entrusted with it in an extraordinary way as an apostle. So yes, Paul can say it's my gospel, but it wasn't his in the sense that he'd invented it or that it was ultimately coming from him as the source 
and speaker of it. And the Thessalonians got that. That's what made their faithful acceptance of the word to be faithful. Is that they weren't accepting it just because it was Paul's word. They heard the voice of God in it. They accepted the word as the word of God. So the first was they accepted it by the grace of God. The second was they accepted it as the word of God. And now here's the third. They also accepted the word in order to be worked on. In order to be worked on. Again, look at, look at verse 13. He says, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. And then he says this, which is at work In you believers. It's at work in you believers. So here Paul brings them into their own present tense. He doesn't just remember what did happen when he was in their city in Thessalonica. They accepted the word, past tense. But here he also brings us into what's still happening in their lives by the power of that same word, present tense. It's at work in them. In other words, God is using his word in their lives so as to change them, to make them more like Christ, to enable them to put sin to death, to cause them to grow in faith and hope and love. The word is at work in them. That was true then. It's still true today. In the Christian life, thanks to the word of God, a word that's at work, what you can hear with the ears of faith are the sounds, the beautiful sounds of a bustling construction site. And imagine that. As quiet as this room is right now, apart from the sound of my own voice, imagine with the ears of faith, you can hear the sounds, the the wonderful noise of an ongoing construction site. Can you hear the jackhammers hammering away? Can you hear the bulldozers bulldozing? The beep of dump trucks going in reverse, the shouting of instructions back and forth. The Christian life is a construction site, and it's the best kind. And I say that because the work is always progressing on schedule. Imagine that. Because it's God's schedule. And because the work is being done expertly, no gaffes, no blunders, nothing that they're going to have to come back and fix tomorrow. And because the work is certainly going to be completed. And when it's completed, it will take your breath away. As the sign sometimes says, pardon our dust, but you'll love what's coming. The word is at work. In the Christian, the word was at work in those Thessalonian Christians, and it's still at work here today. So they accepted the word in order to be worked on. That's third. And then here's one more. They accepted the word in spite of opposition. They accepted the word in spite of opposition. And here is where we pick up at verse 14. Look again at verse 14.
Paul says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Verses 14 through 16. Now, obviously, we can admit there's some hard language in those verses. But the point that Paul's focusing on here, when it comes to his fellow Jews, is just what John says, the beginning of his gospel. John 1, verse 11 says this, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. His own people, they were opposed to Christ himself, finally to the point of handing him over to be put to death. And then they were opposed to Christ's church. And then they were opposed to the spread of Christ's gospel. And that in the same way that the prophets of the Old Testament had been opposed hundreds of years before. And Paul's saying, this is displeasing to God. Of course it is. And it's a heaping up of sin, as awful as that is. And it's hateful toward the nations. Paul even says God's wrath has come upon them for this opposition. And that's some strong language too, God's wrath. He's saying it has come upon them for this. That could be referring to the fact that the revelation of the gospel is itself a word of judgment against them and a revelation of the wrath to come. Or it could be referring to the fact that God in his wrath was pleased to hand them over to their own unbelief. In any case, what Paul certainly means is that many of his fellow Jews in his own day, they were opposed to Christ's church. They were opposed to the spread of Christ's gospel. And what he's saying to the Thessalonians is, You've now become a part of that sobering tradition because now the very same thing is happening to you. My dear Thessalonians, from your own countrymen, in other words, from your fellow Gentiles, you're now on the receiving end of this because now they're doing the same kinds of things to you. Now they're responding to the cause of the gospel of Christ among you in the same way. It's not exactly welcome to the club, but it is welcome to Christianity. Welcome to life in Christ. They accepted the word in spite of opposition. Now, why, why does Paul say this? Verses 14 through 16. Why these sobering words Well, he says it because it makes it all the more remarkable. The fact that the Thessalonians did accept the word of God in the way that they did. That's the point. That's why he says this. Way back at the beginning of the letter, verse 6, he says, You received the word in much affliction. 
That's chapter 1, verse 6 in this same letter. You received the word with much affliction. And that's what he's unpacking here. He's saying, this is amazing. This is fantastic to think that you've accepted the word. And not only that, but you've held on to it ever since. Even though accepting it and holding on to it means bringing upon yourselves the kind of opposition that you've been experiencing. How remarkable to think that you're still holding on to the word. And that you're still leaning in and listening and hearing and embracing. Embracing this word that brings this kind of trouble on you from your own people. And in principle, that's just as true today. Even if we're not always facing the exact same things that the Thessalonians were facing in there today. Even today, you won't fully appreciate the fact that some people believe the word until you take a step back and remind yourself of the kind of world that we're living in. What's the world like now in which the Word is preached and people accept it by faith? Well, it's a Word in which the Word of God, generally speaking, is not believed, in which the church of God is not celebrated. That's the setting for all of this. A world in which faith in God is not encouraged and love for God is not praised and hope in God is not recognized. That's what the world's like. So the fact that anybody accepts the Word of God and then holds on to it, that's amazing. That's beautiful. That's glorious. If you grow up around here in a diehard Washington Capitals family and you're constantly surrounded by diehard Caps fans and yet somehow you manage by the grace of God to become a Pittsburgh Penguins fan and you stay that way, oh, that's amazing. It's glorious. We can talk about that in a sermon discussion if you like. It stands out. It's amazing to swim against the tide like that. There are a lot of ways in which people swim against the tide, but there's nothing quite like being a Christian in an anti-Christ world. They accepted the word in spite of opposition. So, brothers and sisters, those four, thinking about hearing the word preached, what can we learn about a faithful hearing and embrace of the word, those four, to accept the word by the grace of God, as the grace of God, or as the word of God, in order to be worked on, and that in spite of opposition all around you, pushing you and pulling you. What a wonderful thing it is to hear the word as it ought to be heard. Now, what can we take from all of this and bring to bear upon our own lives? Well, the first thing I want to urge upon all of us who find ourselves in Christ today by faith is gratitude. Let's not forget to be grateful today. As I said before, this week it's as if we turn the camera from the preacher to the congregation 
This week, it's as if we go from the view looking at the pulpit to the view looking at you from the pulpit. And I can say from up here at the pulpit on the stage, it's a lovely view. It really is. I look out from this place this Sunday and every Sunday, and I see a body of believers who are listening to the Word. I see a gathering of people who, by God's grace, have heard His voice and not ultimately my own, so as to be worked on, even though you're living in a world like this one. That's what I see. And I thank God for this. And you should too. It's a beautiful thing to be able to stand up here and look out and see it. If you could only stand up here and see it with me. It's a beautiful sight. I'm reminded of um, what was one of my all-time favorite news from Lake Wobegon's in the early days of Prairie Home Companion. Garrison Keeler spun out this fantastic story of one summer when they celebrated Flag Day in his fictitious town of Lake Wobegon, Minnesota. And what they did to celebrate Flag Day that year was to have all the residents of the town organized in like the town square holding colored placards of some sort so as to form a living flag. Well, they had to send one guy up to the top of a building to take a picture of it. So he gets up there, takes a picture and says, Oh, it's beautiful, you should see it. So what has to happen? Now, one by one, every resident of Lake Wobegon has to take a turn to go up to the top of that building and look down so that they can see this beautiful sight on this hot, hot June flag day. Oh, it's beautiful. You ought to see it. And I can say the same thing from up here. And we could do that, I suppose. And the service would go on and on, one by one. Each of you could get up and say, oh, it's beautiful. You should see it. But fortunately, you don't really have to stand up here. You can just look around where you are right now. Because you can look around where you're sitting right now and see a body of believers, not a living flag, but a living church built of living stones. So let's not forget gratitude, because it's beautiful to thank God constantly for this. By his grace, we've heard his voice so as to be worked on, even though we're living in a world like this one. It's amazing. So that's first, gratitude. Here's the second now, a second word of application, which is to press on to keep going in this very reality. Here's the challenge from this day forward. For the rest of your Christian life, Sunday after Sunday, listen for the word of God as the word of God. Listen to hear his divine voice and not the mere human voice of the preacher, whoever he may be. And what that means, among other things, is testing the claims of the preacher against the standard of Scripture. 
And then realizing that it is the voice of God that you're hearing when that standard is being upheld. Listen for the word of God. Listen for the voice of Christ. Think of it this way. During the sermon, even if we're making eye contact, with the eyes of faith, you ought to be looking over my shoulder at someone who's standing behind me. And that someone is Christ. Christ who is infallible in the way that the preacher is not. Your faith ought to be fixed on the God-man and not any mere man listening ultimately for his voice. That's the goal. And, And it's beautiful when it works that way. When you've got a minister who wants the members of the church to accept the word of God because it is God's word and not his, and when the members of the church are doing just that, that's when things start to click and hum. That's when the church works. That's when the church flourishes. That's when the word goes to work in you believers. And conversely, a warning When Christians have not grasped this, it bears bitter fruit. I mean, listening for the word of God and not for the voice ultimately of a mere man. If that's not grasped, things don't go well. Things don't end well. Sometimes folks then won't do well if there's a guest preacher because they're too attached to the regular guy and might even stay home that Sunday when there's a guest preacher, until their minister is back the following. Sometimes they don't do well if they worship in another church when they're on vacation, because this isn't the guy back home. Sometimes they don't do it well at home, because the regular guy at home isn't like the guy at the conference I just went to, who's a rock star. Sometimes they don't do well when there's a pastoral transition. And think about that as well. It happens in the life of every church. Someday, every church is going to have different ministers. So how's that going to go? It doesn't always go well, and it certainly will not go well if the members of the church are ultimately attached to a human voice and not a divine one. But if the members of the congregation have imbibed 1 Thessalonians 2, Verse 13, if they're listening for the Word of God as the Word of God, it's far more likely that a pastoral transition will go well. Brothers and sisters, someday Dave and I are going to be gone. And for that matter, you are too. So we need to think long-term here. When it comes to the principles that we want to put in place the kind of culture that we want to to nurture and preserve as a church for generations to come. And getting 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 in place in our church life, in our hearts and minds, is a very big step in that direction. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. So, brothers and sisters, both of those, let's remember to be grateful today, and then let's keep going.
press on and persevere and not lose heart. That itself is something Paul says later. In this very letter, he's so grateful for them. And later on in in this letter, he says, now do this more and more. He says, I'm so grateful for what I have seen in you, for what I am hearing about you now. Now do this more and more. And so would I urge all of us today, keep listening for the word of God as the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word and that you have given us ears to hear it. And we mean it when we open this prayer by saying we thank you. Just as Paul opened this passage by saying we also thank God constantly. We give you thanks now for giving us ears to hear your voice, your voice, speaking through the word. And we thank you that that word is at work in us and among us right now, we can hear the beautiful noises of that construction site. The world doesn't understand. We know the kind of world we're living in and the kind of opposition to your word that prevails here. But you've given us ears to hear your voice and you've given us hope to look forward to the day when the construction will reach its culmination. Sustain us until that day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.